Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Welcome back to another Wednesday night Bible study in Judges. And we're going to jump right back into our study of Samson in just a few moments. But first, on Monday, I announced my resignation as lead pastor here at Calvary Church after 35 incredible years. In the past four years, I've also been serving part-time as the assistant district superintendent here in North Carolina. And on Monday, the District Council of the North Carolina Assemblies of God adopted changes in their constitution that made my part-time office a full-time office with expanded duties and responsibilities. Sherry and I were left with a choice. And sensing God opening a brand new season for us and a new season for Calvary Church, we responded to the challenge. And we are now facing the challenge ourselves of disengaging from the pastorate here at Calvary. We have no doubt whatsoever that this is God's timing. And so, in spite of the pandemic, we will not question or mourn if it's, if it's God's time, it's his timing, and we should rejoice in the knowledge that he does all things well, and he has a new vision and new leader waiting yet unseen in the wings for Calvary Church. We look forward to walking together through the years but serving in a different role. I will be continuing in my office here as pastor until the end of June, and I hold a strong confidence that we will be meeting in some configuration publicly by then. The board and staff are fully apprised and have been in this process, and now we're defining the process for the selection of a new leader here at Calvary according to our constitution and bylaws and with the assistance of our district superintendent. This has been a labor of love for more than three decades. Calvary Church, no matter what, Calvary Church will forever be our true home. So please keep us in your prayers as we move forward in pursuit of God's best, not only for us in this new post, but also for Calvary Church and the days that lie ahead. Let's pray. Father, we come before you on this Wednesday evening in the quiet of these moments. We ask, O Lord, that you would speak to our hearts by your word. Thank you, O God, that nothing ever takes you by surprise. You are sometimes orchestrating surprises in our lives. But you, O Lord, are unfolding a plan that ultimately leads us in triumphal procession. So therefore, we ask with joy and with anticipation that the fullness of your blessing for Calvary Church will be unveiled and unrolled, that it would be shown clearly in the weeks, the months that are ahead. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would direct our steps also. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's look together to Judges chapter 16, and we're going to start reading in verse 23 as we take this last segment in the life of Samson. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. 
And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistine for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. For 20 years. What a story is Samson. Now, I'd like to start by just backing away for a moment and taking a look at the Christian story as a whole. Let me just begin with a statement. See how it rings with you. The strong becomes weak, and from his weakness, even his death in weakness, he triumphs. I'll say it again. The strong becomes weak, and from his weakness, even in his death, he triumphs. Am I speaking about Jesus or am I speaking about Samson? It's an interesting parallel, isn't it? The strong becomes weak and from his weakness, even his death, he triumphs. Keller calls this a glorious defeat, a triumphant defeat. Rejected, beaten, bound, alone, and finally dying under an avalanche of his enemies Samson triumphs. God delivered his people through the victorious defeat of this one savior, Samson. David Jackman writes, the Samson narrative begins with a strong man who is revealed to be weak, but in the end, with a weak man who is stronger than he ever was before. Now, I'm not drawing any moral equivalency whatsoever between Jesus and Samson. You see, on the one hand, Samson is really the story of sin. Jesus, we know, was without sin. Samson is one long journey down a dark, dark path of disobedience. But Jesus was completely obedient to the Father. Yet it's so very clear in the story that in weakness, God's strength is revealed. Hear the words of the great apostle in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that were not, to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human being might boast 
in the presence of God. Don't lose this overarching perspective. Remember the scripture, when I am weak, then I am strong. Remember, this is the path that Jesus followed, and this is the same path that we see in Solomon. We're not talking about his moral life or his lack of a moral life, but we're talking about how God can use us in our weakness and demonstrate his strengths in ways that cause us to stand in awe. The Bible, you see, is not a collection of books and stories about people primarily. It's the story of God. Don't miss it. It's the story of God. Even in the telling of Samson's last moment, the central character, the hero of the story is God. God keeping covenant with his people, using Samson according to his own purpose and plan. So let's back up now in the story. The Lord has left Samson. You remember last week, we read that tragic book. Samson got up and, uh, from Delilah's bed, and he thought he would just shake everything off and be able to overcome his enemies. And the scripture says he did not know that the Lord had left him, but the anointing had passed from him. He realized in those moments that he was as weak as any other man. He is seized. His eyes are immediately gouged out. He is shackled. This is the man who burned the Philistines' grain. Now he's reduced to grinding the Philistines' grain. Now he is made like an animal. Keller notes, for the first time in the book of Judges, God's judge has been completely defeated, or so, or so it seems. See, Samson's story shows us a God who can deliver with a single, shackled, blind, weak, broken deliverer God can use you I don't care who you are or what you've been through how many demerits you've got in life it really doesn't matter it really doesn't matter how many times you have dropped the ball whether you have any self-confidence or not you have to understand when you surrender yourself fully to the will of God God can and God will use you and there is absolutely no limit to what he can do he uses the small things to confound to absolutely confound the strategies of the wise. Samson shows us a God who delivers even with just a single broken warrior. Just as Samson can slay an army with a donkey's jawbone, God can use a moral wreck to begin, and that's what we find out at the beginning of Samson, he begins to deliver Israel from the, from the Philistines. God uses just this one man here. You see, as we look back through the judges, we see that judges raised up armies. Judges inspired courage in the hearts of the rest of the people to rise up and rebel. But now, in Samson, you have a solitary man who completely goes it alone. He goes it alone. And God's power is shown ultimately in his glaring weakness. This also tells us that Israel... Israel, and I mentioned it last week, Israel has settled for Philistine domination. Israel has laid down. Israel's no longer resisting. Israel's no longer walking uh, among the precepts of God. Israel's no longer paying attention whatsoever to the calling that God has placed upon her. And all of the promises of Abraham, those things are secondary. The Philistines are rulers over them, and they have reached a point now of comfort with their captors. That's what's happening in Israel. There's no resistance movement. 
They are completely incapable of delivering themselves. And so God raises up this one flawed, outrageous, as much as courageous character named Samson. Take note as you look at the story, take note of the aloneness, the aloneness of Samson as you read his story. Any company that he seeks out in his life is the wrong kind of company. He's more like a big, bad biker than an anointed leader from God. He has once been handed over even by his own countrymen. They decide to use him as a negotiating chip. Turn him over and the Philistines won't be so hard on them. And now his aloneness is exacerbated by weakness and suffering and disfigurement and mockery and imprisonment. He's led like an animal to a grinding wheel where he's grinding the wheat. And he could, we could be talking about Jesus again. Isaiah says, like a sheep led to the slaughter. Like a sheep led to the slaughter. That's Samson. No moral equivalency, but I think... Samson prefigures Jesus in so many ways. First, you see, both Samson and Jesus were betrayed by someone who had acted like their friend. Samson was betrayed by Delilah. And Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Treacherous living attracts treacherous friends. Treacherous living attracts treacherous friends low life attracts low lives i wrote an article a few weeks ago about wolves in sheep's clothing and as i was writing it was never quite so clear to me as in those moments wolves are wolves are well wolves are wolves you shouldn't expect a wolf to act like anything other than a wolf You live a low life. You'll have friends in low places, and the friends in low places are low lives themselves. Treacherous living attracts treacherous friends. Don't be surprised when wolves do wolfish stuff. Samson danced with the devil. That was his choice. Both Samson and Jesus were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Samson to the Philistines, Jesus to the Romans. Both were tortured and chained and put on public display to be mocked. These displays of power by showing the impotence of their enemies or the powerlessness of others. It's common to Jesus' story. It's common to Samson's story. The Philistines danced and raged. And I think that when Jesus, when Jesus was taken off to be crucified, I think all the demons in hell danced. Both, by the way, Jesus and Samson were asked to perform. The soldiers wanted Jesus to act like a king when they entered into their mockery. And Samson, we don't know exactly how he entertained the crowd, but they had a big time. They had 3,000 people up on the, the roofs around the temple of Dagon. And so as 3,000 on the roof, you can only imagine how many people were down there on the floor. And Samson was the main event. Jesus died with both arms outstretched. It's interesting to me that so did Samson. And both appeared completely struck down by their enemies. And yet in the very end, their death crushed 
their enemy. Samson, the Philistines, and Dagon destroyed. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, ultimately destroys Satan. So as Samson brought the temple crashing down around Dagon and his followers, the apparent triumph of Dagon, the boasting of the Philistines, is suddenly, in a single moment, it's reversed. It's turned on its head. Keller suggests that Samson brought permanent alienation between the two cultures so that Israel would now become and maintain distinction. So Keller's argument is that this whole event broke up this awful marriage between Israel and the Philistines. Because of the things that had happened, it wasn't so cushy anymore. And now the two nations significantly weakened and the grip of the Philistines being lost. Now the Israel rises up to a, a place of power and begins to find identity again. And the stage is set. The stage is set for an ongoing battle. So you see, Samson came to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Contrast the relative culture between the Philistines and the Israelites in Samson's day with the all-out warfare between Israel and the Philistines in the days of Saul and in the days of David. In Samson's story, as his life is drawing to an end, at this point in time in history, Samuel has been born to Hannah and placed within the, the temple with Eli. With the end of Samson, we are only one generation removed from Saul and David. And in those stories, we find the nation of Israel being more and more defined until they rise up to be ruled by a man, the scripture says, is a, a man after God's own heart. It's going to happen in a generation or a generation and a half. You see, Samson began to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines. Now we've gone far afield. Let's get back to the story. As Samson is grinding at the mill, his hair begins to grow. That's what hair does, even for me. I know it's hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. But this takes a lot of care. Every couple of weeks, it has to be, well, we'll call it trimmed. Some of you might say mowed, clipped. Uh, weed whacked, but every couple of weeks, I've got to take this down or else it uh, gets looking a little bit shaggy and I've never allowed it to get too far beyond shaggy because it is what it is. The truth is the truth. But Samson's hair starts to grow. Now, if the Philistines have defeated Samson by the shaving of his head, you have to ask the question, were they so daft? Were they so stupid that they wouldn't see to the constant shaving of his head? Have you ever wondered about that? Why didn't they just keep his head shaved? Now, it could be that they were just that ignorant, but I suspect, I suspect that they had investigated Samson's Nazarite vow, and they thought that in that first cutting of his hair, the power of that Nazarite vow or to them, it would seem like a magic spell. With his hair cut, the spell was broken. It was over and done. You see, they really did believe in abracadabra gods. 
They really believed it was all like magic. You cast a spell, you get a certain result, and then it's over. And so for them, they had cut off Samson's hair. He lost all of his strength. The Nazarite vow was canceled, and now Samson would be weak for the rest of their life. What they didn't realize is that while Samson had not kept his end of the deal, God made a vow, and we'll get to that in a moment. Right now, Samson, you see, is a trophy being displayed. And trophies, while they celebrate victories, they're nothing more than lumps of metal or glass or, or, or plastic up on a shelf someplace. You don't worry about the trophy coming off the shelf and taking vengeance on anyone. And that's, what the, that's I believe, where the Philistines were. They looked at Samson as a trophy. And as the, every time they looked at him, they saw that they had shorn his hair, he had lost his power, he would never get it back, nothing else really mattered. For them, the story is the hair, but it wasn't about the hair, and it wasn't about spells, and it wasn't about magic, it was about God. Don't miss that. It was about God, and God, a God who is faithful. This is a lesson the Philistines never comprehended. Though Samson has broken every facet of the Nazarite vow, God remains faithful. There's no magic in Samson's hair, but the hair brings us back to God. Who said in Judges 13, 7, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. He'll be a Nazarite before God from the womb to the day of his death. Not the day his hair is cut, to the day of his death. God has his hand on Samson. And his hair begins to grow. Samson might have torched all of his vows, but God keeps his word. I'm relying on that. I need the grace of God, don't you? I desperately need the grace of God in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've made God promises that I've broken. I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus and for the cleansing that comes by that blood and the forgiveness that he freely offers to us and grace, not cheap grace. It's the most costly. It's the most costly commodity in the planet. But God gives grace to us. And is he unfaithful? Never. Never. Samson torched his vows, but God kept his word. So the Philistines, well, they knew nothing of the God who does the unexpected. He did that with the judge Ehud, whose strength is made perfect in weakness. We see that in the life of Gideon and in Samson, the God who never breaks his word. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. God binds himself by his word. The Philistines were quite certain that Samson's fate was sealed. They had no idea that the house was about to fall down around their ears. So Samson is brought into the temple of Dagon and it's a fun night at the temple. It's a big party. And it's time to make Samson, who was once their arch tormentor, it's time to make Samson dance like a monkey or whatever. For the Philistine that night, above all nights, they must have thought, now we own Israel. Now that we own Samson, we own all of Israel. 
Samson was brought into that house to abuse and to scorn, being led by a servant. And as he found himself among the pillars, he asked to be strategically placed by the main pillars that he might lean against them. And for only the second time in the entire account of Samson from the 13th chapter, now all the way through the end of the 16th, for the second time, Samson prayed. The first time he prayed for water after he had slew a bunch of the enemy. Now he says, oh Lord God, please remember me. Remember me and strengthen me. Only this once, O oh God that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars in which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He literally gave himself up. He gave himself up. I like to think, and this is only me, I like to think that heaven fell silent in that moment. What a prayer. Oh God, remember me. I've prayed that prayer. In my lowest moments, God, remember me. Remember me. Don't turn your eyes away from me, God. Oh, for your mercy and grace, I cry out, Lord. Don't, don't turn your eye away from me. Or remove your hand from me. Remember me, Lord. What a prayer. And Samson captures a glimpse of God's once glorious designs on his life. Remember me, Lord. Remember me for what you created me for. And perhaps he sees clearly what a fool he has been. Perhaps he's certainly been humiliated and he's been humbled and he's been stripped and he's, he's been abused and he prays, remember me. And strengthen me just once more. The power of God came upon him. And he brought down the house on all the rulers of the Philistines. They had five major cities. We have every reason to expect that all of those rulers had come together in this central temple to celebrate. God literally in those moments decapitated, decapitated the hierarchy of the enemy. Israel would never again be completely under the thumb of the Philistines. It would be war. It would never again be capitulation. And we're going to pick up the story next week and go a little bit further. As a matter of fact, over these next eight weeks together, I hope we can wrap up this study in Judges. But Samson's last act is horrible, and it's wonderful at the same time. It's brutal, and yet it's effectual. And for his faith, his faith in God, even in that moment, his spectacular faith that God would remember him and empower him. For that moment, he is remembered forever among the greatest in the scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. There is hope. There is hope for you, regardless of who you have been, what you have done, how you have lived. There is hope for you in surrender before the Lord. Great things can be done even in a moment. And I pray for you, I pray for you that God would use you in these days in your lives, taking steps of faith that will draw you ever closer to his will and his purpose in your creation. It is never too late to pray. It's never too late 
to obey. So, Lord, would you hear the cry of our hearts? Accomplish your purpose in us. Where we have strayed, draw us back, Lord. Where we are humiliated and humbled and broken, let your strength be seen in our weakness, O God. May our trust be absolute that you will yet display your glory in us. And to that end, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll look forward to seeing you, Calvary Online, on Sunday morning as we start a brand new series of messages over these next nine Sundays. Nine things I must say before I go. Nine things I must say before I go. And so I'm going to be starting this Sunday with a text from Daniel. And every week for the next nine weeks, nine things that are so confirmed in my heart that must flow out of my preaching ministry as this season is shifting at Calvary. I hope you'll be with us, Calvary Online, next Sunday morning as we begin to walk this journey out together. May God richly bless your life.